It was great to get a hello there on the way past. Thank you very much. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of Ephesians. You'll find that on page 1173. It's one of Paul's letters to the church in Ephesus. And Christoph is going to be helping us to look at some of the themes from this in a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. So that's page 1173. Let's approach this and remember that here we do have the words of life, the very words of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be the adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, there is indeed mystery here. There is profoundness. And unless your Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts, we will struggle to understand. But we thank you that you have revealed your truth to us. We ask that you would be with Christoph now, that we do not take for granted the um, we do not take for, for, for granted the responsibility of opening your word to us. So we ask that you would give him clarity and calmness, and that above all, you would keep our hearts open, free from distractions, free from anything the evil one would bring in to. Uh, cause us not to hear what you say to us this morning. We thank you for Christoph, for his ministry, for his gifts, and above all, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and ask that you would reveal your truth to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if we fire up that first slide... I'll show you a newspaper headline. The three-word question consuming the world's biggest brains. Title of a, an article in The Guardian I read over the summertime. Uh, the article was by a guy called Tom Clark who edits a, a magazine called Prospect. They had just published a list of what they reckoned were the world's 50 top thinkers. 
Uh, these thinkers had been picked for, in his words, fruitfully engaging with the problems of our times, giving weight to originality, impact, and communication. We've consulted closely with global authorities on economics, history, and science about their peers, and have considered the books and ideas we can see making waves. Um, I should say, I had a quick look. I don't think anybody from Kirkpatrick got a mention. <laughs> but, you know, there'll be another list next year. Um, so the, if you ask the 50 smartest people in the world what's on their minds, what's keeping them awake at night, here's what we discover. The three-word question consuming the world's biggest brains is this. Doesn't matter what spheres they're, they're working in, doesn't matter what uh, their particular interest in, whether it's arts or sciences or... This guy writing this article spotted a, a theme, a commonality, that at 2019, the brightest people in the world are given their, their attention to this question. If three words are too many for you, we can capture a lot of the aspects of this question in one word. More than any generation that's gone before us, we're struggling with the question of human identity. We didn't always struggle with identity as much as we do today. It used to be that if you met a person and you asked them, who are you? Uh, that person, without struggling too much, would, would offer you an answer and maybe even with some conviction and confidence. They might say, I'm an accountant, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm British, I'm a Protestant, I'm a man, or, or whatever. So in the past, being able to offer answers like that gave us a sense of, yeah, I know who I am, I'm a... We had answers to this question, who are we? But all of a sudden, or certainly quite suddenly in the culture, a lot of this clarity and confidence in our identity seems to be evaporating. It's a much more complex and stressful question nowadays. So in an era of economic uncertainty and career fluidity, it's not quite as simple as saying, I'm an accountant. We might end up saying, I trained as an accountant or I currently work as an accountant. And we know to be careful about how we define ourselves by our career because while I'm working today in this sphere, my employer might tomorrow decide that he no longer needs me. One of my teenage kids told me of a careers talk this week where they were told in school that the average modern worker should expect to change career five to 15 times uh, in their lifetime. This career fluidity can have a profound impact on our sense of identity. I remember chatting to Claire a lot during the years when she had stopped working as a physiotherapist to be a stay-at-home mum, and the whole question of, well, what's my identity if I'm not working in my profession? Some of you here will, will understand that. I can remember the, the final loss of identity when she decided not to go back after work, lost her career break that had been held open for a number of years and, and was no longer able to say, I'm a physiotherapist. A lot of our identity in contemporary culture can be caught up in our careers. 
We might say, I'm a husband, I'm a father, or I'm a, a daughter and, and a mother. Our closest relationships naturally play a big part in our identity. But again, in the space of probably just two or three generations, this has become increasingly difficult for us. Families increasingly disintegrate. Marriages break down. Kids live halfway around the world from their parents. These days, it's not quite so easy as it once was to say who I am, to capture my identity in terms even of family. If my family breaks down, who then am I? Over the years, lots of people in East Belfast have identified as British, even if they got themselves a sneaky wee Irish passport just to hedge their bets, not, not pointing any fingers, not asking any questions. I sign a lot of passport applications in here. <laughs> They're not all British. Am I British? Am I Irish? What about Europe? Am I European? We're not sure about that, are we? Struggling to work that out. How much does my national identity contribute to my identity? In Northern Ireland, we've suffered for years from identity politics, a way of looking at the world that says, I'm a Protestant I'm an, and I'm a unionist, therefore I, I'm all into A, B and C, or I'm Catholic and nationalist and therefore I'm into X, Y and Z. So these communities, these two communities are far more focused, it seems to me, on, on triumphing over one another than in asking the question, how can we live and flourish together? Many of our problems arise from an unhealthy sense of identity, an unhealthy tribal identity. Much more interested in the question, who am I, with no real interest in the question, who are you, and how could I be a a better neighbor to you. It used to be that one aspect of our identity at least was secure, our gender. I'm a man, I'm a woman. Our gender seemed to be like a, a non-negotiable building block of our identity, at least for most of us. Not anymore. In times of growing gender dysphoria, more and more people born with male sexual characteristics are choosing to identify as female and vice versa. Those born female choosing to identify as male. It's a complex area, but, but notice for now the language. It's about how I choose to identify. It's all about identity. And again, we're back to this question, who, who am I? Who are we? Throughout this series uh, in in church this year. Actually, we're going to do a bit of work before Christmas and then we're going to do a little bit more work on this later in the year. We're going to try and take some time to answer some of these questions. We're going to run a series called Recommissioned, Becoming the People God Wants Us to Be. It's not going to be the study of a particular book. So Monty read this morning from Ephesians 1. We're not going to be studying Ephesians. It's just a passage that we'll have a look at in a moment. What we'll do instead is we'll take an overview of the whole Bible. I've, I had to think about this when I was working on this over the summer. I've taught one Bible overview before during my time at Kirkpatrick. You'll know how, 
how early an adopter you were with Kirkpatrick, if the spring of 2005, not, not many of us were here back then. We looked then at the story of the Bible through the lens of the kingdom of God. Uh, and we saw how scripture was the story of a, a partial kingdom, a prophesied kingdom, a kingdom that's come, a proclaimed kingdom, a perfected kingdom. So we were thinking about how scripture tells the story of the kingdom of God. If I could maybe step back from that and look at the whole of what we did in that series, we might say that we were focusing there at, on God, the king, the kingdom that he's come to establish. You might say we were focusing on the questions, who is God and what does the Bible tell us about his kingdom? Well, a quick, a quick glance at that series helps me differentiate it from this one. If that series was the one that focused on God's identity and God's purposes, who is God and what's he doing, then this series is one where I'm going to invite us to think about ourselves. Who are we? What's our identity? And what's our purpose? Two different perspectives, but one glorious story. It'll be to Scripture that we go to find our answer to the question, who are we? Hopefully that helps put the, the series we're about to begin into some sort of context. If I've confused you entirely, don't worry. It'll, it'll still make sense as we go. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning, this introductory sermon, highlighting a couple of the implications of, of what we have said so far. I want to say that first, one, our identity is God-given, and two, that it's a shared identity. We're trying to answer the question, who are we? And we're trying to answer it from God's word. So that immediately gives away our big commitment. We're the people of God. If we're going to think about our identity, and if we want to know who we are, then we want to know what he has to say about that. In fact, we'd go further, rather than just hearing what he has to say, we believe that our identity is God-given. So we want to understand as well as we possibly can what this identity is that he's given us so that we can live for him in this world that he's created. Some, somebody hearing me today might say, well, that's very regressive. We have found a lot of freedoms in our culture. That sounds like going back to an old uh, authoritarian approach where we're always told who we are and what we're to do. Why don't we sit with that idea, if that's in your mind, sit with it during this series and see how, how that question or that comment feels after discovering the identity that we have in God. One point I do want to make now, though, is I think there's an astonishing freedom that the, the contemporary culture might benefit from if it, if it took to heart this approach. You see, if my identity is God-given, I don't have to start from scratch designing an identity for myself. If God's told me who I am and how I can flourish as his son or daughter in the world, I don't have to start with no raw materials and a blank canvas to decide who I am 
and how I might live. There's a freedom there, I think, to, to get on with learning to be the person that I've been created to be. Just as there's a lovely freedom in, in allowing God to give us our identity, I think there's an arrogance at play when we reject or deny God's purposes. The prophet Isaiah puts it, as he does so often, in a graphic form. And he puts it in the form of a question. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Shall the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Of course not, is the implied answer. The potter knows why she's made the pot. Even more so, says Isaiah, does God know why he's created me and you? He knows. Why don't we let him tell us who we are and what his purposes are for us? We need to be recommissioned. We need to learn again to be the people that God wants us to be. What are the Creator's purposes for us? Well, I suppose that's the question we're going to try and answer through this whole series. We're going to take plenty of time to do it. So this morning, I'm not, I suppose I'm just getting us started. But I'd love you to have a quick look at that passage we read a moment ago there, Ephesians 1, page 1172. Okay, I'm going to have to come clean here. I find Paul hard going sometimes. He seems to write very long sentences or paragraphs of ideas all strung together. There it is. And this is one of them. You have this sense that it's brilliant, but it's hard to tell why, what's great about it. Let me quickly show you. For a lot of this opening paragraph in Ephesians, Paul talks about what God has already done for us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what he's done. He's chosen us from before the creation of the world. He's made us holy and blameless in his sight. He's redeemed us from the power of sin and death. He's adopted us into his family. He's forgiven our sins. He's lavished grace upon us. That's what he's done. Paul, that's brilliant. But why? What's the point of it? Why did God do all that? Wait a minute, says Paul, I'm coming to that. It's all about Jesus. God the king is preparing a kingdom to hand over to his son. That, that's what he has in mind. Look at verse nine. He's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good purpose, which he purposed, his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Paul, would you please get to the point? Would you tell us what this is all about? What is God doing? Okay. Last part of the paragraph, chapter 10, the second half. Verse 10, the second half. God's purpose, God's will, God's project with the whole of the created order is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Jesus Christ. God is the king. He's preparing and restoring a kingdom which he's going to give to his son as, in his, as his inheritance. Everything restored, made new, and given to his son, Jesus. Now, here's the thing. That all things that's going to be brought together and given to Jesus, I'm part of that. 
right? I'm going to be part of, and so are you. We're, we're part of the, the big project that God's working on to restore the earth and to give it to his son, Jesus, as his bride, as his inheritance, as his wedding gift. Folks, that's the, the mission of God. That's what he's doing. And our identity and our purpose is going to find its place in there. We're going to take plenty of time to think about that, but, but that maybe gets us started. The second thing, uh, I've said two things we want to notice. Our identity is God-given. The second thing that I want us to notice today, just quickly, is that our identity is corporate. This is going to be hard for us, right? We live in a world where every single person, for the most part, treats you as an individual. There are many forces at play in our culture that want you to think of yourself as a self. The advertisers are, are looking to you to create a very strong sense of yourself and your needs, what you uh, need to be in the world. Well, God sees it entirely differently. He doesn't think of you as an individual at all. He thinks of you only as a person made for community. In this series, we'll be thinking about our identity, but it's going to be not about I, but about we. We'll maybe say today that we're moving from me to we. So we need to get that right at the start. It's a corporate identity. You'll see that in the title we've given to the series, but also in the titles, the working titles that we have for some of our sermons to come. I thought this might be a good moment, um, well, first of all, to say we're not going to be thinking about I am a person who does this so much as we're going to be saying we are people who, who do this. It's a, it's a we, not an I journey that we're going on. And maybe this is a good point to give you a bit of an outline uh, as to where this series might take us. Um, I've got 15 different talks in mind. We're going to be a people who know their story, a people who care for creation, a people who are a blessing to the world, a people who walk in God's ways. By the way, if you know the story of Scripture, some of these will, you'll say, yeah, I, I know that. I know to expect that in the Bible. There'll be some of them that you'll be less clear about, I would suggest, for most of us. There'll be a affirming what we do know, but a learning for most of us. We're a people who are redeemed for redemptive living, people who represent God to the world, people who attract others to God, people who know the one living God and Savior, people who bear witness to the living God, people who proclaim the gospel of Christ, people who send and are sent, people who live and work in the public square, people who praise and pray, and then a conclusion. So back to that three words. We're, we're just wrapping things up for this morning. This question that's keeping the great thinkers in the world awake in 2019, who are we? We're starting a journey today where we're going to let God, through his word, answer that question for us. We are the people of God. We have a Father in heaven who loves us and created us just the way we are. Just the way you are. You might have questions with him for, about that. 
but he's created us just the way you are. He sent his son Jesus in love to die for us. He, he gives his spirit and he says, listen, if you want, I'll come and indwell you. I'll live in you. I'll empower you. I'll give you life for this world. This is who we are. These are our identity markers. God alone can give us our identity and our purpose. Once we get this, and once we allow him to tell us our identity and our purpose, we find that we, we live differently. We don't ever live the same again. I heard a story a, a couple of years ago from the four times Tour de France winning cyclist Chris Froome. Some of you may know that Chris Froome didn't grow up in Britain, but rather in Africa and Kenya, I think, for most of his life, or most of his early life. Um, and he was cycling at the time with a, a team called Team Barlow World. And, and he got a phone call one day from the, the greatest cyclist in Africa at the time, a guy called Robbie Hunter. Robbie Hunter left him a voicemail and said, I'd like to talk to you about your plans for next year. I just love Chris Froome's response to this Robbie Hunter voicemail. He says, Robbie Hunter wanted to talk to me about my plans. I took the hard negotiating position that whatever his plans were for me, they were my plans too. Whatever his plans are for me, they're my plans too. Folks, that's where we want to go with this series. The living God approaches each one of us and he says, I want to talk to you about who you are and about the kind of life that I want you to live. Wouldn't it be brilliant if at the outset we were able to say, Lord, whatever your plans are for me, they're my plans too. A few months ago, probably while I was dithering about whether to try to preach this series or not, I was meeting up with a, a young man from the congregation we just meet up occasionally to chat and uh, encourage each other in our walk with Jesus. And we uh, asked him, in a, I sort of did a step back kind of a question and asked him, you know, how, how do you feel your life's going these days? Uh, and then I asked another question. I said, what do you want from your life at present? This is a, a guy in his 20s. Just quick as a flash, because it had been on his mind and heart, he said, I want to live a life of purpose. I think he knew the danger of sliding along, not being convinced of his identity and his calling and his purpose, just sliding along. I want to live a life of purpose. What a brilliant answer. I do as well. I, I really do. And I'm sure you do too. This autumn, let's come to God's word. Let him tell us who we are, what our purposes are, and then let's let him lead us 
into these lives of purpose that we long to live. Let's pray. Lord, when we reflect on the uncertainty that there is in our culture, uh, that people around us seem not to be very clear at times about who they are, uh, where they could stand, how they might live. Lord, it's not long before we realize that we, we suffer these uncertainties too. Lord, we have lost our grip on some of the deep truths that are to be our identity. Uh, we're less clear than we ought to be about what you've called us to, how you want your people to live in this world. But Lord, we want to show up today and we want to say that we're, we're here now. We're all ears. When you talk to us about your plans for us, we, we want to be able to say, whatever your plans are for me, they're my plans too. Lord, we want to follow Jesus. We want to become like him. And we want the world to see his beauty in our midst. It seems outrageous, but it's what you've promised. So we ask that you give it. Amen.